Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oedhari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose state as an omniscient narrator is uncomfortable and probably uh, dangerous, frankly. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I am no one, and everyone, and everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I am a director, I am a character, I am a narrator... And I have a nice mustache. Yeah, uh, that's you're not wrong. Um, I will say I'm conf- I it, it weirdly gave me Willy Wonka vibes. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fair. He has sort of a Willy Wonka, and thing. like and, you know, but like without some of the. I get it's it. Not bad per se, but like I I am con- I am concerned about his relationship with his own characters in his story because as far as I can yes. tell. He's some sort of, like, he he's either he's some sort of Willy Wonka meets the Purple Man. <laughs> oh man, I guess he is kind like, of. Like he literally at the beginning was like, characters. "Oh no, you need to go over there and try to fuck that yeah. soldier." Like that's what you need to <laughs> do six. right now. Right. Um, it's very uncomfortable. No, that's good. I very much. I I was hoping to start off talking about him. Okay, so good. So we'll get back to him very quickly. But first, let's play the theme song. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. If you want to support us, you can for as low as a dollar a month. Well, I mean, you could probably go lower, but your benefits I mean, start at a dollar I don't know a how month. Patreon works, so maybe. I'm not clear on that. Yeah. I'm actually not clear on that, and I'm not sure that Patreon is either. <laughs> <laughs> and it might change our mind within minutes. But for that dollar a month, you get access to a non-criterion bonus episode. We put together a list every month and let our supporters vote. Uh, sometimes we let the supporters uh, suggest. To be fair, what the we list should be. always let the supporters suggest. It's just a matter well, of whether yeah, or not yes, they do yes. or don't. Sometimes suggest they do this it. Month. Yeah. Right, right, right. If someone suggests it, we are more than likely going to take it. Um, the only times that hasn't been true. Uh, is when when someone says, hey, you should do a list like this or this or this or this, and they put like four in the email they send me. Right. And then I'm like, well, I, now you've given I won't me a remember list of all lists. of these. Um, and I, I very much appreciate it, uh, but I usually only end up using one or two of those. Uh, though there was one where I went back. There was one uh, fairly recently, I feel like, where uh, where I couldn't think of anything for a month, so I just went back to... An older email. Well, it doesn't <laughs> seem like a bad strategy, frankly. No, it's not. Uh, it's not. But yeah, yeah. I back I backburner that stuff, and you know, eventually it works out. Uh, but anyway, we are very happy for any supporter suggestions or anyone suggesting. But a uh, a really great way to end up on the podcast, if that's the thing you really want to do, is uh, if a <laughs> if a supporter suggests a list, we. Uh, we have a tendency to end up inviting that supporter to guest. I mean, on it makes the, sense because if nothing else, we usually yeah. want to kind of understand the list, right? Like, where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, it's fun. It's fun. We have a lot of fun with that. Like I said, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. If you want to get in on that, that's the $1 level. Uh, for a little extra $5, we like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to our dear, dear friend, Stephen Goldmeyer, who is uh, our only $5 supporter right now. He's only our, he's our only $5 supporter because we had so many other $5 supporters who popped up to the $10 level. And $10 and above, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the films we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note and mail that off. Uh, so if you like bespoke art... If you, if like, you like things that are of dubious mo- copyright uh, status. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that is $10 and above, and... Uh, and actually, we started a thing this week, uh, as of recording this week. So if you've been paying attention, it's been up for a few weeks because we're still recording four weeks ahead. Um, but we started a thing this week. I have put every postcard on a three-month delay. So uh, so to guarantee that our Patreon supporters still get the postcards first and have time to enjoy them before they become public, uh, but after three months, I am putting those postcards up on a Redbubble store, redbubble.com. You can search for Lost in Criterion on there and see all of the previous postcards and buy them as postcards, as greeting cards. You can send those to your grandma. Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Or as, I mean, or as like stickers to put on I... police cars. Please don't put or, them on uh, police cars. <laughs> They do have our website on them. No, like, don't actually for real. Put them please on don't do that. Cars. I don't want those phone calls. I don't think Adam wants those yeah. phone calls. And a select few actually exist as buttons. Whenever the artwork was uh, was appropriate to a button, I made sure to. Or, or I guess like appropriate is in air quotes because or or well highly yes. inappropriate to, to to buttons, but right. hilarious to look at. Right, right. So, so yeah, over there. Like I said, uh, you can check that out at Redbubble. Dot com search for lost in criterion on there uh we did get one takedown notice already for yeah, a yeah. Uh, godzilla based postcard uh <laughs> yeah. because toho is a very litigious company and redbubble did not want to risk it yeah so and i'm i'm and we tried challenging it, it. Uh, redbubble <laughs> came back and said no they weren't going to challenge it and i can respect but that keep decision. your mind keep your eyes open because someday soon <laughs> a replacement for that postcard which is terrible will appear <laughs> because i uh, like i said pat's a little i'm a little salty about that i understandably so <laughs> uh but the ten dollar and above supporters who get the postcard three months before it is publicly available to buy uh it will, it will never be censored <laughs> one down. yeah they can't take that one away because we don't we i don't, don't know what legal. it's gonna be until about two days before yeah. we before we mail it so whatever we don't have a legal department clearing this stuff before we mail it out so you'll get the original version of whatever it is before red bubble tells us not to do that yeah until um, <laughs> yeah, red bubble tells us that was a bad idea yeah. but we also uh we also like to thank those people on air so thank you so much to our ten dollar and above supporters adam spickerman patrick yako michael mcgrath jason westhaver and christopher otto yes thank you so much we are very grateful to you mm-hmm. Again, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to support us and if you want to take a look at the past postcards, see what you've been missing, head over to redbubble.com and search for lost in criterion. 
it's worth noting on there that it's pretty much every pass postcard. Uh, so some of them are terrible. <laughs> yes, some of them are very bad, but uh, I did put every single one up. And Pat, I, I haven't really passed this along to you. Most of them have said it publicly on Twitter, but uh, but our $10 supporters really love your postcards. They really do. I, it, I, I, uh, I appreciate it. I, 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 it's a motivation for me to continue yeah. trying to actually make them better, which is uh, a thing that's important. Yeah. So this week you're talking about the first in a series of Max Ophuls movies, uh, La Ronde from 1950, his first film in France for, uh, well, over a decade, 18 years actually, I think. Uh, it's based on a play by Arthur Schnitzler. Um, Ophuls and Schnitzler are both from Austria. Uh, Schnitzler's play was originally written in 1897. Uh, he finished it up uh, over the next couple years. He first self-published the text of the play in 1900. Uh it got banned. Yeah, I understand that. In 1912, an unofficial uh, production of it happened in Budapest. Uh, it was still officially banned in Germany and Austria. France was kind of okay with it, but still no one was performing it. And then finally, he put on a production... Schnitzler did in 1920, uh, which was the same time it was translated into English and published as Hands Around. Uh, um, so, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Just a terrible name. Uh, <laughs> there is also a 1917 English translation by someone else. And there's a Dutch translation, and uh, that was in 23. So all that time. But then, if I understand it correctly, Schnitzler suffered so many attacks. Schnitzler was a Jewish man. And in the 30s, in the 20s, he was living in uh, Germany. Um, and he was attacked for being moral for being a Jewish pornographer etc um, it became a, a scandal that this play existed and he decided that if anyone was going to use his play to attack Jewish people uh, or threaten his own personal safety he would suppress it himself and he took it out of circulation himself for a few years uh, by the 30s, Schnitzler had left Germany. Uh, he saw that writing on the wall pretty pretty early, uh, probably because he was already facing persecution well, yeah, pretty I mean, outright. Yeah, from, I mean, you know, because... From I mean, anti-Semitic he, attacks on himself. I mean, from uh, it is very yeah. early, right? Because, I mean, like, yeah. it, it just in, in sort of a grand scheme, right. I mean, he dies in 1930. He died in 1931, so, like, he got the hell out of Dodge... Oh, not Schnitzler. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Schnitzler. I, I, I get confused because uh, I'm reading his biography yeah. right now, and it's getting no, this is right. getting confusing. Because no, I misspeak. I misspeak uh, on Schnitzler getting out of Germany. I don't know if Schnitzler. Well, he was Germany. in Vienna. He was in Austria. Yeah. but and yeah, died in Schnitzler was in Austria, and and he ended up removing the uh, the play himself to keep from uh, uh, 
keep from facing more anti-Semitic. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, as you said, he did die in 1931. Um, Ophuls ended up, he really loved Schnitzler's work. Mm-hmm. He had produced his last film in Germany uh, in 1932 was an adaptation of Schnitzler. And then Ophuls left Germany in the 30s, uh, bummed around the rest of Europe for a little bit, made movies in France, I believe in England. Uh, then through the 40s, he was working in the U.S., right. uh, made a couple of films in the U.S. Uh, and then this is sort of his triumphant reentry into the European film market. And as such, it's fitting that he uh, chose another Schnitzler play since his last film before being forced out of Germany was uh, was Schnitzler as well. And, you know, being a... uh, There's a lot of symbolism, right? Not only only in Ophuls, uh, Ophuls, you know, choosing Schnitzler for personal significance, but your first post-war movie coming back into Europe to to actively use a Jewish work, a work by a Jewish author that had been suppressed. Right. Uh, Ophuls claims I mean, it does feel very that he tried. Significant. Right. right. Yeah. Ophuls claims that he was uh, in the process of getting it made in the U.S. Uh, and there's a bonus feature on the DVD that is a... Uh, an interview, well, not an interview. It's more didactic than that. Um, but a uh, a piece by uh, Alan Williams, who is a film scholar, uh, and he talks about the movie at some length, as a bonus feature should be. Uh, but one of the things he mentions is that uh, Ophuls said that there was an American production uh, that was getting started. And then he decided to move back to Europe. Uh, but Williams points out that, one, that's incredibly unlikely in 1950 right. that an American film studio would make this movie. Right. <laughs> or that anyone would finance this movie in America in 1950. Right. I uh, mean, considering that but, the final production was banned uh, by New York film censors. Right. Like, it, you know, that's, it, yeah. yeah, that is very unlikely. I mean, you know, he like honestly, like if I had to take a guess, probably saying something like that was the way that he was trying to manipulate uh, people in France to like get the movie made. You know what I mean? Like, well, actually, oh, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, some some studios in the states have already shown some interest, uh, <laughs> right? Kind of th- deal, which is know? which plays into it, and we'll get to that in a second, actually. But another another aspect of why it's made in France uh, is that uh, France was the only country where Schnitzler's heirs, uh, where the estate did not control the rights to the play because they had been sold pre-war. So it was easier to make in France uh, because uh, you didn't didn't have to get the rights holder (laughs) directly. Um, But uh, your, your play... That it that it might have been claims that America was going to make the film might have been a ploy uh, 
maybe hold some water because post-war, uh, even even the producers didn't really have a lot of money. <laughs> and there are stories that William shares of O'Fool's, uh, I keep saying O'Fool's now, um, stories that William shares of uh, O'Fool's uh, getting checks from producers that bounced and having to postpone production for a day so that he could go and get his money directly right. from them. And they'd say, oh, oh, that shouldn't have bounced, and then give him the money and continue to make the movie. But but that's very good. Uh, so, yeah, all the complicated backstory of this is that uh, Ophuls really loved this play, really loved Schnitzler's work, and has this triumphant return to France to make this movie. Uh, we'll see his next couple movies uh, over the next couple weeks, uh, one from 52 and one from 53, and then Ovals himself died in 57 and died fairly young. Right. Uh, I mean, that that's essentially the end. There's only one film after that that we're not going to see. Right, so. right, right. Um, we will have one more. I think it's an earlier work. Right. Uh, I that mean, we'll he's, watch around he, Spine he's got quite a career before these but, films that, like, right. I'm sure were that could be explored. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And while he was in America, oh, he was working. That? Right. Oh boy. Oh, I hope it's not that one. Never mind. Let's get out of here. <laughs> um, a lot of his movies played with the same themes. So. Right. Yeah. There's just one that yeah. is really like I. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. Like, hopefully, it's not that one. You, if you read the list, you'll be able to identify it pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so, like, I we need we need yeah. to say more. So, um, yeah. uh, you started off with us talking about the narrator, and I want to get back on that because there's a very interesting thing I ran across. A bit of trivia is that uh, Snitchler's main purpose uh, in the original work was a cautionary tale against the spread of syphilis. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which really checks out. Obviously, Ophuls and uh, certainly other adaptations don't lean into that aspect of it. Right. But it's not more a TV make film. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make it about passion and love making the world go round, right? Right. But that's... Uh, okay. Sorry. You but, go, go ahead. I have so but, many thoughts that but it's, it, this is really out of control. Here's where I want to go with that real quick is that the idea of our narrator as the personification as an intelligent syphilis trying to get itself is way more reproduced. Is crazy interesting. Yeah. No, I guess. It's crazy interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, because he's actively manipulating the characters, but he's also like symbolically controlling the sex acts. Yeah. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's it is it is an interesting thought to to kind of work through. <laughs> What's interesting to me about it, it no now that you've just told me that, the movie makes one hundred to one thousand percent more sense. Uh and the reason I bring that up is because this is okay, this is gonna get really like too deep into a thing that we just don't need to spend time on. But one of the issues I had with this movie is our narrator keeps talking about love in a really flowery very romanticized way and that is not the sort of relationship that's depicted in multiple multiple of these relationships right. the, in multiple of these relationships it's just very 
specifically sexual relations. And yeah. yet the now, movie, the, the narrator is simultaneously talking about it pretty flowery. Flowery. Yeah. Ree, 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 ree. <laughs> I have yes. trouble with that, that word. Yeah. In flowery language. Yes. Uh, well, the narrator, the narrator is a construct for this film right. version. Right. He's not from the play. The play is literally the ten actors. It's actually been staged with just two actors playing all of the right, I all of the that. roles. And I hope that when it was two actors playing all of the roles, uh, they did what this film I very much appreciate this film for doing. Uh, because we can tell the difference between all of the men because each one has a different, very fancy pipe. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Actually the movie. With the I exception was really, of the count who wears a fancy general. hat. Very impressed with this movie recognizing that okay, we're gonna hit you with a lot of people in and, and we're never gonna and we're not gonna loop back to any of them. So like yeah. to keep you from getting confused, everyone will look completely different. Yes. Uh like very... we're never gonna we're never gonna hit you with yes, these six people are all like pale white men with blonde hair that like <laughs> right, you cannot right, tell right. who they are. But even even if you have face blindness like some people on this call, they also have, <laughs> have different 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 smoking gear. Um, two fancy pipes, a couple unique cigarettes, and a, and I'm a, a very large hat. Of, I'm a big fan of facial hair too. I mean, and their yes, and their outfits. Yes. They their their outfitting is consistent in the sense that um, it 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 doesn't try to like over costume the story. So like. Right. When they're in an outfit, that's essentially their outfit. To the point yeah. where the well, one guy well, it is basically. They uh, have two outfits, basically. Well, right, yeah, the but the part. two outfits are very harmonious. Um yes. like the banker or whatever he is, like essentially seems to be wearing his suit in bed. Like <laughs> it's not fair. exactly, that's but fair. I'm like, wow, uh Mr. <laughs> I wear a tuxedo to bed, huh? Um yes. It helps, though. I mean, it all, it actually made the, because this could be a very complex, it, it's not complex in the sense that it's just a circle, right? But if you're right. expecting it to be more complex, if you're expecting love triangles where, like, two points of the triangle actually interact with each other, you could run the risk of assuming that people are this, are, you know what I mean? Like, it could get screwy really fast because your brain could be, like, trying to add layers of, of of sort of um, interaction depth that don't actually exist very easily, um, right. and and it makes it very clear by having crazy pipes. The one pipe is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. I didn't. I don't know how you smoke out of it. It's some sort of weird carved like ivory bong. I don't know. It's yeah, where the where the pipe bell itself has a chimney. It was yeah. Very, it was very yeah. weird. Like so, I was like, can you smoke from that? I don't don't know yeah <laughs> exactly exactly um other than the narrator getting implanted here it is pretty much a solid faithful adaptation mm-hmm. um it's my understanding that there were changes made to the uh to the poet and the sh- uh, the poet and the shop girl okay. scene um i don't know how extensive those were uh Obviously, the intercuts of, uh, we'll call him the banker because you already did, uh, I mean, but that, the businessman. Yeah, I don't know what he yeah. is. I don't. Uh, the intercuts of him sitting alone at the restaurant waiting for her 
and then her sitting alone outside the theater waiting for the poet where they have an identical conversation with a with a other person yeah in the, what time is what time do you have just after 11 oh i have five till midnight so do i right it's, it's a very funny exchange it's a, it's especially a good, it's when a it's repeated i really love yeah, it i do too um uh uh obviously those are you know you can't do that in a in a play well yeah so, unless you're willing like, to have like two sets on play yeah i mean you can right but. well you can you can but it uh it's a different sort of uh weirdness yeah it, it's, then, it doesn't this play already does, is yeah. its own weirdness right, right. yeah no i uh, mean yeah, I, and I get why you would, I, like my yeah. the point where I, the only thing i was trying to go after is like finding out that this is a, a cautionary vd tale in uh, its which heart I, yes it, I, like, I only call it that because of like all those weird world war ii movies but like uh <laughs> right. like is that knowing that makes the relationships that this movie tries to depict make way more sense right yeah. because the circle feels much more robust if you're talking about the transmission of a disease rather right. than than the abstract concept of love right yeah. because like the movie itself the thing we watched can't make up its mind whether it's talking about passion or love or like you know like sexual attraction or right. like emotional attachment because some of them are emotional attachment and some of right. them are not and there's nothing wrong with that, but the movie wants to pretend like it seems like, especially a narrator, sort of wants. Well, I feel, so often the way we talk about love is to conflate the two, right? I understand so. that we as, as as societies tend to do that, <laughs> uh, right. but like uh, I, this movie, it, it's where the text of the the actual play and the movie adaptation seem to part ways because right. it's very clear that the story that that it, understanding these are two separate things makes it so clear makes it so obvious in hindsight like oh yeah the reason why it felt weird is because one of these things is not talking about that right right and 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 it's very and like you can see that's the play right there that's not talking about quote unquote love right. it's talking right. about infection <laughs> and even yeah even without the literal disease uh the infectious nature of passion is uh is its own thing through here and right. i could certainly understand whatever schnitzler meant when he put pen to paper and if it was actually a a, a, a warning against syphilis you know it's like it's like uh it's like m right and M was just meant as a as a warning against uh, moms not watching their children, right? Um, uh, you know, or you know, we we frequently bring up uh, the jungle, uh, right? And and just total you know. radical misinterpretation, <laughs> right. yeah, right, yeah. I mean, you know, right. I don't I don't feel like Ophel's interpretation here is a radical misinterpretation, but he's definitely grabbing on to different aspects of it than. Right. Uh, than the author maybe intended. Right. And, uh, and, and, my, and my issue is that, like, okay, maybe it's not about syphilis, but it's certainly more about lust than it is about... Right, right, Like, right. the emotion, yeah. the conceptual emotion of love. Um, yeah. And and I think Ovo, to a certain extent, is maybe grasping at straws to try to right. make a tale well, that is more palatable for people to actually want to watch. 
that's another interesting aspect of this, though, is how much of that and motivation and rounding of the characters is only done through our narrator. Yeah. Because the the original characters from the play and as they exist here, they're just archetypes, right? Yeah. And so much so that their individual portions are named for the archetype they are, right? Yeah. The the whore and the soldier, right? And yeah. Um so Williams in his in his bonus bit uh does a very I'm not entirely sure I follow what he was trying to do rhetorically. Uh, but he suggests that the narrator rounds the characters and that this maybe was at the behest of uh, producers because plays can exist with characters who are just archetypes, but that's much less common in movies uh, and maybe particularly so. of the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Again, uh, <laughs> William says a lot of things that I don't know are completely grounded, <laughs> either in the text or uh, in actual uh, literary criticism. Um, but uh, and that's why he loses me at this, because he goes on to say that uh, that Ophel uses the narrator to round the characters, but then to squash them back into archetypes. Wait. And I don't even know what he means by I that. I don't know what that means either. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I, I don't really, and that's the interesting thing is, even not knowing what I knew, we, we know now or maybe know now, like, even beyond that, like, it, the story makes sense without the narrator. Like, you can just, right. like, right. you're, like, watching this sort of, like, oh, you're getting this sort of, like, weird circle of life, but it's sex, and that's fine. Like, yeah. cool, whatever. Like, it's, like, yeah, like, there's this sort of interplay between humanity that sort of binds this whole thing together where everybody just wants to fuck everybody else. Okay, fine, cool. You the can make that movie. That's fine. The narrator is, I don't know that the narrator, personally, other than just being a, a weird-ass character that's kind of fun to watch, <laughs> right? like right. the narrator doesn't like really honestly bring a lot to the, I mean, he brings a lot to the table because he's a weird dude who's fun to watch. Right. But like story-wise, he's not really... Doing a lot. Even even on a technical level, what the narrator introduces is for Ophels to have an excuse to do like long takes. Yeah. Like the introduction is him on this stage scene and he says, Oh, is it a stage or is it a movie? And he walks through to reveal it's a sound stage and he says, Or is it a street? And he walk on to a much more convincing street scene. I mean, it's always always on the sound stage, but still. And then we have the reverse of that same single take in the final sequence where mm-hmm. the Count interacts with the narrator and we come back and he puts his puts his street clo- <laughs> clothes back on. <laughs> right. Uh, so he sort of facilitates that sinew that allows for those long takes, which is something Ophos was clearly interested in doing. Right. You know, there's... Uh, <laughs> Just well, watch the movie. Uh, there's really only one story that even has multiple cuts, and that's the center one of the the husband right. and wife in bed. Um, an interesting story on that that Williams brings out is that Ophel's son suggests that uh, uh, Ophel's was was some amount of they don't use the word but dyslexic essentially, 
that he, during editing, would wear lapel pins with an L and an R so that he could remember which which side was left and which side was right. Mm. And that one of the reasons he didn't like to make cuts was that he couldn't keep in his mind how to edit properly right to make that whole, right. to make them fit together right mm. um which is interesting but but Ophel's whether or not that's true Ophel's does use a lot of long cuts here um and maybe partially inspired by uh Susan Kane to that regard but yeah, uh, yeah I mean I was leaning towards yeah. that mentally I was a thing I noted sorry right. to just you should probably just, yeah I don't by know. all means yeah like is that um even the, within the opening, we've watched a fair amount of French films at this point. This film, mm-hmm. this one felt very American Hollywood. In that regard, yeah. Like, and it, obviously, it, a lot of stylistic stuff, especially at the beginning, felt right. very like, oh, this person's been watching a lot of like 40s American Hollywood productions. Yeah. Yeah. It also feels very Renoir. And yeah. unsurprisingly, Ophels and Renoir were friends. Um, but, uh, the whole what the narrative brings technically to it to allow for that that sinew already exists in the play, right? You could film this; it would be a little more confusing because the time frame would be so compressed, right? Right. But you could uh, you could film this in almost like a real time thing, where yeah, <laughs> where you, each you character could, uh, you could leaves this, basically leaves you, their one scene and walk. Right. You yeah, could you slacker could. this yeah. and do it all in one take. Yeah, you could. You could. I mean, I will say that, like, I feel like because probably the play has, because the play plays so often don't need to justify time changes mm-hmm. as much as films do. Like, right, right. The narrator does, like, for example, um, the um, the woman becomes the, the maid, like, kind of escorts yes. her from point A to point B and helps, like, connect those two scenes and explain why. But, like, you wouldn't have to. A very minor rewrite of that film would make that work fine right like right. she's like or that story with like she's like trying she's like oh i gotta get home to my boss they'll fire me if i don't get home and then oh you're gonna lose your job and then oh you'll get another job and you'll fuck that dude and it'll be fine um yeah. well the other the is, other thing unnecessary. is that that in that second in her second scene he is a young man right so mm. it's just it would make just as much sense and maybe this is true the original play i don't know i haven't read it it would make just as much sense if she's not fired, and this is just the son of the boss she was worried about in the first scene. That's right? what I'm saying. That's exactly what I was yeah. saying. Yeah, it doesn't. It's unnecessary right. to have that, and my. And yeah. I don't know what the original play is like, but that part is unnecessary. It, it like right. it's right. cool right. to like the little escort scene through like the weird scenery of the universe or whatever is fine yeah. and interesting visually, but like it's like. I don't know why we need that. Any of that extra yeah. sort of exposition and, and things that like to make her right. existence more complicated. Because let's be very clear here, nobody's existence in this movie is complicated. There are no well rounded characters <laughs> right. in this and that, that's They're fine all because that's what that's what right. the movie is and that's, that's fine. What it is. Everybody is yeah. just what they are and they just do the thing that the, that archetype right. does. Right. Fine. And they exist as, as two different... Each one exists as two different interpretations yep. of that archetype, Absolutely. right? You know, to to the extent where I imagine that this is tough on actors because they're essentially playing two different characters yep. in each of their scenes. 
Well, um, it, it makes for a really interesting commentary on like how different people are different things. Right, like, it, right. It's either a different interpretation, but you're also different person in different environments. Like depending on what the context right. of your you're operating in, right? Like that that our I guess he's a businessman. I called him a banker. Is is this like Banking's very business. reserved, like chase like to his wife, and then he's gonna go off and like have an affair with this shop girl. Like right. and 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 there's this discussion of like if that's a different type of person is in a different context or if that's just an extension of that same kind of person right. in that new environment and, yeah. and 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 but then you see little hints of the two bleeding into each other right because he's he still he oh, still criticizes her for his her comments about what his wife might about be it. doing yeah. it, that's a really great scene because you can see a bleed over where it's like oh this is still the same guy he's just extremely right. extremely hypocritical. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and my my favorite is the poet who uh is he's commandeering he's he's suave he's uh saying really dumb poetry things i, I love about, his dumb poetry it's about amazing. when it's nighttime you can see up to 30 more suns than you would see during the daytime uh which is really lowballing the amount of stars <laughs> yeah, no, that are in the I, sky. I like I uh, like the poet because he is just so bad at his job, just so yes, abysmal at his job. Yes. But uh, but he's still confident with the shop girl, and then he goes to see the older actress who he's trying to pursue, and she's like shutting him down at every at every. Oh opportunity. yeah, no, she he's and he's just, frustrated. He's, he's a little worm <laughs> compared to her. Like it's it's yeah, and he's off kilter. It's very good. Uh, I think the only one that feels like maybe time actually passes between the men's scenes mm. is is the uh, the young man. Oh uh, uh, yeah, <coughs> yeah. I would say that does make sense because, because it does seem because a the first disjointed. yeah yeah his first one seems like he's being presented as if this is him losing his virginity right, and the second one he is much more confident, but then also. Uh, in one of, I love the blatant metaphor of the carousel itself being sex. Um, but, but, but in his second one, when the, uh, when the carousel breaks down and he, he, because he cannot sexually perform with, with the woman he's pursuing, uh, is, uh, it's very, it's very silly. It's very, I, I, I like it. it is, it is absolutely silly. Um, what I what I enjoy what I enjoy about this film that it that I it, I was worried because of the content like the topic is a one that is a very like right it's right. so easy to make it very accusatory towards one type of person or another and it it goes out of its way to make sure you understand that everybody's relationship to sex is absolutely patently ridiculous. Right, right. Like nobody has, nobody has a grip on this thing, right? Uh, and everybody and, is ridiculous. And being based on a work originally written in 1897, uh, you know, we've seen other, other work based on plays from that time, uh, like that uh, Scandinavian one we watched a few months ago. I can't remember the name of it about the that took place in the kitchen, mostly. Oh, right, version. yeah. <laughs> about the 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 daughter falling in love with the with the main valet of the house and talking about running away together and 
you know, and that's more, that is a movie that is much more about sexual politics at its heart, right? This is a movie that isn't about sexual politics. And as such, and as such is not, is neither misogynistic nor feminist really in how it plays out. But well, here's what I will everybody say. has their own agency, though. Right. Everybody, to that extent, it's feminist. Well, except for when the the narrator takes over their minds with this purple man power. Right. But whatever. Right. Like, right. and there is there is actually the point of uh, the young man talks about doing it with the businessman's wife, and then the businessman does do it with the shop girl of getting them drunk to loosen consent. Right. But. Um. But, but the he, young man never successfully does it because he can't get the bottle of wine open. Right, yeah. I love everything about yeah. him. Uh, well, what, here's, what, here's what I will say. is This movie's not per se about sexual politics uh, or like the politics right. of gender or anything like that. But at the same time, if you consider the time period that it's created in and the way that the, the male characters especially are noted for their hypocrisy. Right. I feel like it is it is a very gentle one, but it nonetheless feels like it is trying to make a point about how, like, I mean, that businessman is patently ridiculous. Right, his behavior right. is is so obviously satirical towards that kind of man. That, like, even if it's not meant to be feminist or anything like that, which it's not, like. It's clearly trying to say, it's trying to at least make a point about, like, even the, the, I don't know how to articulate what I'm trying to say, but it's clearly the movie is trying to make a statement about sort of the, what is in vogue with, with the politics of sexual relationships at the time, which is this idea that, like, because, like, the society is still definitely demanding in 1897 is still definitely demanding certain behaviors from women that it's not expecting. Right. And from 1950 men. is still absolutely is doing the same. And, right. and the movie is very, the, the story is very clearly pointing out how ridiculous that is. Right. And, right. and it's trying to that make the, a very blanket, like very kind of hippie ish sort of statement about like, Hey, we're all doing it. Okay. Yeah. When, when the shop girl asks the businessman, uh, if he's married and he says, uh, why would you care if I was married? And she says, well, no, because if you're having an affair, your wife is no doubt having an affair too. And he gets mad. Yeah, exactly. And tells her to shut up. That it, it is, you know, it is blatant hypocrisy and pointing out that hypocrisy is certainly something this movie wants to do, but it wants to do it. I feel like as a means of portraying that, uh, courtship that uh, that this sort of passion is itself a play, right? It right. is, yeah. it is a performance that we put on to one another every day, right? Right, right. and, and uh, so and my point, and I was, think that might be the extent of what right, and and Ovals that's is trying to say. And I I can agree with that. I, my point that I was trying to make is that that by even trying to dig into that, and even trying to sort of put men and women's participation in this relation in this behavior on an equal footing is already in 1997 making a statement right to a certain extent it's maybe not a strong statement but it is something it is it's not like 
like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to paint this as like ah yes this high minded work of of feminist art or something like that. I'm just right. saying that like for a dude writing in 1897, he's doing better than a lot of the ones we've seen. Yeah, to allow to allow these female characters to have sexual agency non judgmentally. Yeah, is itself a surprise for its time. And refreshing, even compared to a lot of films coming out today. Right, and and and, uh-huh. and I find the, I find the businessman and the shop girl to be one of the more interesting ones in that, because the movie feels like it's starting. It at times feels like it's starting to verge on being judgmental of her, and when it does, it makes a quick turn to like, oh, by the way, right. are you married? Like I, you know what I mean? Like it, 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 it like kind of pulls back from the brink of that being like a negative what? commentary about her particular archetype. Yeah. Um, what I love about the shop girl is all the things she does that aren't judged at all. Mm-hmm. She's double fisting prawns yeah, through the no, entire scene. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. Every, like, yes, please. With, with the businessman, less so, of course, with the, uh, with the poet, well, though it even comes up. But with the businessman, she is she is eating as much food as she well, can as quickly as possible. And that's the interesting thing, right? Yeah, because she's like, gonna, like I've got, like I've got, you know, it's a really interesting dynamic because we learn a lot about the archetype and the and the sort of like how well the acting is being done with regards right. to like, oh, I don't give a shit about this dude, but like, right. check out this awesome but, spread here. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of right. this and, and drink then when all she of this gets with champagne. The poet, right? She actually is interested yeah. in impressing him to a certain extent. But it's actually right. very funny because even in that scene, by even halfway through that scene, she's like, oh, this, you can even see in the scene with the poet where she's kind of being like, man, this guy's a fucking idiot. Like, she's, right. She, right. she thinks he's attractive, clearly, and things like that. But, like, right. like he's, she, is clearly like, what are you even, what, like, I don't know. She's one of my favorite characters. Let's be very clear here. Right. Because in both of her scenes, you see a very, a very, a through line of the characters. Like, oh, I'm attracted to this man, but this man is still an idiot. But there also comes a point in her interaction with the, with the poet where she, she asks him if he has anything to eat. Right. And she's like, oh, I could could send out for some charcuterie. And like, that's, you know, it is. It's all subtext, right? Right. But it is. It is there that when she's not interested in you as a person, she's just wanting to use you yeah, for food. Could you give and me like, some food? Well, I mean, it, it, yeah. There's a lot great. of really interesting. I love it. There's this movie has. We talked about archetypes, and yeah. and I think it's mostly the acting more than anything. Right. But. Maybe it's because the movie, because the play, and by extension, the movie is painted in such broad brushstrokes that it allows the actors to fill in personality in all those blank yeah. spaces. Oh yeah, uh, she's a a prime example of it. But like all the actors, kind of get to sort of chew up the scenery a little bit because there's just there's not, at least as far as I can tell, a lot there. Right, like, right, and that's not right. a bad thing. It's just like, okay, here's your archetype. Go, go forth and be merry. Make this archetype a thing. Like, go make this into a person. And I feel like, in actuality, most of the actors are very successful in making like 
partially because the subject matter isn't is a thing people like to talk about, even though even when they're pretending they don't like to talk about it. Right. And right. and but like, I don't. I can't think of a character in this film that I didn't enjoy. Kind of slowly watching the actors reveal weird things about them. Oh yeah, and, and it's a really delightful characters. sort of yeah. thing to go with, go through with them as you learn more and more about these people who are all patently ridiculous. Right, they're all like, the, like even the the businessman's wife. Oh yeah, she's no. yeah, she's so uh, uh, trepidatious, and she obviously wants to break up with the young man, but can't can't bring herself to actually do it. Right, and then they end up sleeping together. Uh, but then with her with her husband, she's sort of domineering in their relationship, and it's more like a business partnership, right? And uh, well, and you get that sense, especially time, as they're like laying in bed, the way she talks right. to him, it's like, oh, you like she, you can almost <laughs> get this sort of like latent sense of like, oh, it would be nice if that passion were still here, <laughs> right, right? Oh, but you say it's already gone. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Like <laughs> yes, yes. Good night then. And the way she talks to him is just is very funny. I I really yeah, enjoy yeah. that 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 scene is quite funny because of the way, like she responds to him is very, <laughs> is just very funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, and all of them are pretty good. I mean, it, I I will say yeah. Actually, yeah. I can't think of one uh, of a character that I didn't like. Kind of like learning about. Um, yeah. Now I, I will say one aspect of this film where the idea of feminist agency does fall apart is the narrator, right? And the narrator is obviously a stand-in for a director or the author right, yeah. or whatever, either our film director or the original play's director, uh, but also the way he interacts with the characters. With the guys, he's in disguise and someone who happens to work at the place they're right. at. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. He's, with the yeah. women, he is a fourth-wall-breaking director. Yes, who is absolutely. telling them where to go, and, and what that is to do. the most upsetting part of the film. Yeah, frankly, and the fact that it is gendered that way. Yes, and I think one hundred percent gendered that way. Absolutely, I know. I agree uh, completely. I mean, like, yeah. it's it is. I think most egregious in the opening scene of the movie, where right, he right, like right. like I said, purple man's. Yeah, the, go the, stand over there the, uh, and the yeah, get like, the sixth person. Yeah, it's very uh, weird. I don't. I really that that scene really risked the right risked putting me like I thought I, when I watched the scene I was and, like, oh no, I'm gonna hate this movie. Right, and then and I really didn't because the rest of the movie is not that, <laughs> which is good, and and really exercises too much control because it implies some sort of love at first sight that she's not wanting to even charge this soldier. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that, yeah. That Your description of it as weird. as the Purple Man from from Jessica Jones is is pretty pretty accurate to that regard, I think. And, uh, and, and as such, that interaction is one of the ones I find least appealing in the entire film. Like that opening yeah. scene, like why she's pursuing the soldier so intensely is right. it, we don't we don't get to learn about her before before or during that. So we run into this problem where, unlike the other characters. We don't get to see her sort of develop, you know, interesting right. personality quirks and stuff as we go along because it feels like, oh, he just shoved her into this 
and here she is, yeah. and then she's going to pursue this without without like sort of mindlessly. Um, it makes that scene probably the least satisfying scene in the whole film. Like other direction ones are less annoying because, like the one where he escorts the 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 maid, is still very very weird, but it feels less like. It feels less right. purple manish and more like a bad god character in a not very well written <laughs> movie. Right, right, right. And those feel different. Those are different feeling things. Um, well, that's a that is also one where he is sort of more overtly uh, a stand-in for the play or film director too, right? right because yeah. he walks through the orchestra. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, right. And, and and in that sense, the movie kind of can't make up its mind what his role exactly is. Right, right, um, right. I'm trying to remember his, and then in some, and it, it is it is definitely gendered, but it it's not universal in that I don't remember his interactions with the, for example, the wife very much at all. Like I don't, I maybe I just forgot. I don't know. He's the. That is one instance where it is less. Less director. He's the uh, he's the driver for the wife. Right, right, and so and so. Right. I mean, he so says he is the incidental like, employee, right. In that one, and so and, that is fair. And I I don't what I'm what I'm saying is I universal. don't think that uh, sort of um, I don't think that absolves the film of its sins uh, yeah. in any way because it definitely is gendered still. But what it does is it says to me that right. like the movie couldn't ever make up its mind, right? How they wanted him to be. Uh, exactly. And it, like, he's not one thing only. And again, uh, and I only say this because you called it, it's called them its sins. Uh, in as much as this movie is gendered, it could have been a heck of a lot oh, worse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. <laughs> absolutely. And, and uh, we've seen movies and it kind is, of in this vein that were a yeah. billion times worse. Um, yeah. I, I'm, it is I'm actually very good for, for what it is. Yes. But it is not perfect and that's fine and, yeah and i and that's why I, I kind of was leaning towards being fairly positive towards it just because like yeah i mean i you described it to me last week and right, i right, kind of yeah. used it viewed it with some sort of semi-existential dread i was like oh no we were very worried about what this movie might yeah. be. yeah right and i had different ideas of what it could be i mean it, it like there were there were a bunch of different possibilities and almost all of them were bad and I, Watching what I watched was yeah. kind of a relief that it wasn't any of the things I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I love the fourth wall breaks in this. Uh, my absolute favorite thing. It reminded me of uh, was that Louis Mall quote about the lovers, where he talks about the entire history of cinema being panning to the windows. Oh, this is yeah, ninety-five yeah. minutes of panning to the windows, except. <laughs> The scene with the count and the actress, I love so much because oh, the, the camera sensor? pans away. Oh, yeah, it it pans away to the ceiling, but then the ceiling's mirrored. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> it. I love it too. It's amazing. And there's this meta joke about about them not knowing what to do because they can't pan away, so it just cuts to the narrator physically cutting, censoring the film. Well, what I my favorite thing about it is it is the it is probably the most sort of meta like feels very modern joke in the whole film where he's going he's got the scissor he's going sensor 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 as he's cutting <laughs> right, and i'm like right right like I, uh, i'm like what is happening here funny. right now it's very funny it is yeah it, i die i i 
there are scenes, like, despite him being weird at times, it, overall, he does add a certain texture to the film. And I can yeah. understand, he's not necessary by any means. But I understand how adding him breaks up the story enough to keep it from feeling monotonous in the yeah. sense that it could feel a tr- like a trudge around the circle. And, the, and right. he ad- is there to add a certain amount of pizzazz and flavor to it that keeps it from just being like, again, the actors could do that themselves. It could just be the actors being very interesting all the way around the circle. But, but his presence alleviates i think some of the necessity for them to always be very interesting and, yeah and and allows the not that the actors did a bad job but it allows the actors a little bit of breathing room to not be over the top 100 percent. yeah there is there is plenty of uh good uh comic relief in just the scenes, right? Yep, without yep. without having this overarching comic character, uh, and even like to to Schnitzler's credit, like the the fact that the young man can't get the bottle of wine open is already a metaphor. Oh no, it's for already the sexual a problems metaphor, he's about yes. to have. We don't necessarily need the additional metaphor of the carousel breaking down, right? Um, yeah, it's you know, it's playing on something that already exists, but it doesn't eliminate the thing that already exists. Right. And so I think it's that's just like a key, yeah. double. Yeah. Hey, do you understand this symbolism? Right. right? Well, and and I like, kind well. of wonder if, to a certain extent, part of it, you know, you're taking it from a play where audience are expecting certain things, and a bunch of scenes, a bunch of semi-disconnected scenes, works better in plays. Uh, right. than it would in a, in a film per se. Because uh, I, I could see how you could almost feel like, oh, I have these 10 scenes, and all I've got to connect them is a title card that explains what's coming up next. Could feel very, to especially in 1950 as a producer or something like that, very um, silent film-esque. Yeah. And, like, that's old-fashioned feeling, right? So you want you want, like, oh, well, this is modern Hollywood era. We wanna, we wanna feel uh, very, um, very suave and like modern, right, and, right. and and so you feel this. So we have like, a very suave narrator who's interacting with the audience, right? Right, and introducing the things and sort of our tour guide to this, and right, and it is very innovative, right? You know, um, and we've seen we've seen examples of that sort of fourth wall breaking from the time. Um, our bonus episode on Hell's a Poppin' was a phenomenal movie doing very <laughs> right, similar yes. things uh, a movie earlier than this movie whose name I event, keep right? forgetting but think about a lot, which is <laughs> yes, interesting. Yes. Um, particularly in the film aspects, it, it plays it much more comedically, but uh, but it's still doing the same things. <laughs> and uh, If Hell's a Poppin' had thought of the... Uh, the cutting out of a sex scene, they would have put it in. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like maybe well, it didn't just occur to them, of, or they, yeah. or or they were actually worried about censors too much <laughs> um, right. in America at the time. Will the but, censor uh, censor the censor? Is the question that yeah, we have to worry yeah. about here. Can't can't put a lampshade on it too much because then the censors get mad at you. <laughs> yeah, and then they'll just cut out the lampshade too. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's he's a very fun character. And I understand why Ophel's added him. 
but I don't know. The play doesn't need it. Blatantly, no, the play it doesn't does not. Need it. it does right. not. And I, I'm just, I'm just kind of going through mentally why you would feel a need to add that character. Right. And I think in a lot of ways, I really do feel like it is a, oh shit, we're gonna accidentally make a silent film. <laughs> right. Well, we've William got title cards and we've got ten. We've got short vignettes connected by title cards. Feels very dangerously old fashioned. I think in 1950. William's suggestion that he was uh, an implement of the producers trying to make the characters more round than they otherwise would have been maybe makes sense, and maybe that's where maybe, he came from I, directly. I, I think then that's that. Then it must be. Like, I mean, Williams it, is a film historian. He's probably speaking truth there, yeah. uh, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> right? I, I, you know, I don't see that information presented anywhere else. So I, I only find that I only worry about that because it it all depends on sort of the timeline that he comes into existence right it makes sense in the sense that like maybe you read only the script as a producer and you're like oh well we this is not this is not going to work without something to make these characters more right because again as we talked about based on the sort of original play it's pretty broad brush right like the the lines themselves are only going to be funny if they're delivered by an actor who's capable of delivering that line in a comedic way Right, like of yeah. the 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 actual play, right? Not the 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 add-on character, the not the narrator, but like if you think about the things that are being said in the scenes, a lot of it's going to depend on you know actor uh, expressions and like for example, if you think about the shop girl scene, especially her two scenes, especially the amount of work her face is doing to make that funny. Is <laughs> yes very intense. None of that's in the script. Keep in mind, right? Like none of her, like clearly losing interest in what the poet is saying. None of that's in the script, right? And so, if you're a producer writing, like reading it, and you're like, "Well, this is is this actually gonna be interesting? Is this gonna be funny?" And maybe you're not super, maybe maybe or maybe not super familiar with the original work, and maybe you probably haven't ever seen it. Per- performed live or anything like that i can imagine where you would say like well shit you gotta you gotta jazz this up this is yeah. not gonna be enough uh of course good actors as we see in this film in the actual final result could have carried it like it would have been fine but i can see how people in the early stages would be like well this is just not there's just not enough here so, I mean, I can kind of see, I can see that argument being, and, and then what we get, the final result is maybe he wasn't, strictly speaking, necessary and isn't actually fulfilling the role of making the characters more round, because I frankly don't know what he's adding to the characters themselves. I don't feel like the characters right. are changed in any way by his presence. So. I mean, it's it's a little additional interaction, and any interaction with another character is automatically right i mean give them somebody to work to with extent. other than the person they're going to have um, sex with yeah it allows for an amount of motivation right mm, um, a little bit a little bit at times and mostly in his directorial sort of stuff um but yeah you're right i i don't know which is where well, and we really where William's description loses me that the char- that that character rounds out 
rounds out everyone else and then flattens them back out. <laughs> well, that that phrase just to me just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Is the issue right. we're running right. into there? It's yeah. like, well, I don't. You just spoke nonsense to me, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Uh, so you mentioned you mentioned that uh, New York censors did ban this film when yeah. it came out in America. Uh, here's a fascinating thing I did not know. Okay. So the 1954 Supreme Court case that overturned uh, the ban on this film overturned the ban on another film, and somehow it had escaped me that this other film was ever banned in the U.S. Okay. And banned in Ohio, in fact. Okay. Lumped together in the Laurent case is an Ohio ban on the movie M. Oh, I didn't know that. As harmful. Huh. Interesting. Huh. I had no idea. I mean, I do get the impression, based on our conversations previously, that Ohio essentially just banned every film. <laughs> right, right, Like, as right. a matter of principle, and then, like, slowly... Oh, that's from Europe. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's a European film. Uh, like, it's essentially a whitelist scenario rather than a... Like, you know, like, oh, you can get yourself off the blacklist if you try hard. But if if it's a European film, it's going to the ban list. Um, interesting though. That is that is fascinating. And then part and parcel with this, those two both got. I assume those bands were both <laughs> like, uh, you know, sort of rendered null and void. Then I assume. Yeah. Uh, the Supreme, uh, unfortunately, New York Times uh, archives from the fifties are behind an additional paywall. Oh, good. Um, yeah, you can you can read the first paragraph, which they refer to as the abstract, but that is not actually how how uh, newspapers work. Right. Um, uh, so one of the court cases from January fifth, uh, fifty four, I think, uh, says that. Uh, the Supreme Court will will be watching La Ronde uh, after New York centers <laughs> banned it, uh, but apparently it got it got lumped in. The other Times article I ran across said that there were two films, and but it didn't mention what the second film was. Uh, so I just uh, I did did a quick search, and uh, the other film was M. Yeah, I'm yeah, just, I, I'm very I, surprised by that. I think I never thought about until really you said that. Is that like, oh, right, like, if it's getting banned and you're trying to decide if it should be banned, I guess that means sometimes at least you're going to end up watching it. Right. Which is right. a fascinating yes. concept to think about, like, that, like, there are films that the only person in the entire country, the only people in the entire country who ever saw the film were the Supreme Court justices who decided that that wasn't, a, that, right. like... Like, oh no, this one's okay. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird thing to think about. Like, right? You know, there's that. But there's did that they watch Solo? That's the question. That's what there's I'm that trying to sort out right now. Yeah. There's that that famous quote from the court case around Molly's the lovers. You know, uh, I know pornography when I see it, and this right. isn't pornography. Um, also suggests that the Supreme Court watched that movie, of course, right? Right. But even with that quote, it never actually occurred to me that there's probably <laughs> they had to have a viewing session of this. Right. right? They, they all like gathered and were like, all right, I guess we're watching yeah. this now, guys. And that there right. possibly exists that one of them was solo. It's just very amusing. To <laughs> right. right. Oh, man. Like, I, I, I mean, 
you know, I, we, you and I have to a certain extent probably turned a corner on Solo uh, at least a little bit, but that right. does not change the fact that a bunch of old farts, <laughs> like <laughs> sitting around a bunch of a bunch of real like stick in the muds, sitting around watching Solo to decide if it's like, you know, if it's obscene or not, is very. And did they funny understand Solo? Did they sit there watching it, thinking, "Oh, this is about us," right? That would be <laughs> which, which is it, obviously it's better if they do, um, right? Like, it's good either way, but it's better if they do. Like, and then you get into this question: is like, how often did they get f- confronted with like, "Oh no, this one's about us again," yeah, right? Like, how often right. were like, "Oh no, they're talking about us again." Or, or do you get, or does it require, in order to get to the Supreme Court, you to have so little self understanding <laughs> that that's <laughs> right. impossible? Maybe, maybe. Because uh, I mean, I mean, in, in all seriousness, like not to take us in a totally different direction, but I will. Um, to think that you, as a person, are qualified to make judgments about what is what is acceptable or unacceptable for an entire nation of people requires, I assume to a certain extent, a certain amount of self grandiose. Right. Like, and then which would inherently make it hard probably to say, Oh, this one's about me. Yeah. Now, of course, eventually the Supreme court decide, and perhaps pre sallow, uh, the Supreme court decided that, uh, they are, they actually aren't in a position to make that decision right, for right, the entire which is country. Good, which is a good, and good, the, yeah, good call. Yeah, but the obscenity laws, uh, their decisions were morphed into being based on uh, how uh, the community from where the film was being challenged would actually, a reasonable person living within that community would react to the movie. Um, and then obscenity laws changed a little bit more to the point where it's actually very, very difficult to be legally declared obscenity under the right, laws which right is, now. Which but is... I'm sure the current Supreme Court makeup will change that. Um, yeah, that's also yeah, that's true. I I was just thinking, yeah, in in, in general, our our yeah. relationship with the sanity laws have moved in a positive direction, which is right, right. Let's let's just I'm not just, have these anymore. That's good. Thanks. Of, of all the mind blowing information that that we have uncovered in the last ten minutes, uh, in M we talked so much about how the Nazis who weren't even in power yet tried to suppress M because they thought it was about them. And then to find out <laughs> that Ohio <laughs> banned right. it as well. Right. Just, no, it all checks out. The whole thing all of just it makes checks sense, out. and I hate it. <laughs> Do you think that the ending of this film and that the bugler is heard as the Count walks off stage mm-hmm. suggests that this entire movie and perhaps the play it's based off of, uh, is actually meant to be a time loop as opposed Um, to just a sort of circular tale. Well, I mean, it wouldn't work if it were a time loop, but I don't think. But what I think it's... Okay. I I mean, of course it wouldn't work if it were a time loop, but... Well, um, no, I know. But, like, what I'm saying Time loops don't actually work, Pat. No, I don't. But, like, what I'm saying is I instead what I think is that I think the time that this film takes up is supposed to transcend real time and exist as sort of a meta time where like right. these all these stories are kind of taking place at the same time like and they're all just sort of 
different windows into reality. Like each person is an archetype because each person doesn't represent a single human, but represents people in society right. doing what people in society do, and therefore can all be taking place actually at the same time. Yeah, this is how I saw it. Like I'm probably right. reading too much into it, but like that. <laughs> That's the way I kind of viewed it. It's like, oh, we're not like these you, are not individuals per se. I gave you a question to read too much into it. The movie's not concerned with whether or not it's a time loop. So, yeah, no, this I know, but but, rain, but it did right? bring up a thing I did think about while I was watching the movie, right. which is like whether or not this exists in time or not, which I don't believe it does. Which is fair, you know, and it explicitly takes place out of time, right? Right, because we're talking, you know, the presumably given the opening narration the narrator exists in 1950 right right and that's why he changes clothes to go back in time and be disguised in his 1890s vienna play right right i mean the narrator is some sort of god figure um (laughs) right who amuses himself primarily by making people have sex yeah yeah like a film director Uh, Uh, good point good point or at least most (laughs) of the film directors we've encountered I I won't even say most, but a lot. Yeah, a lot of them. I mean, yeah, uh, more more like, but at least this film director is making his characters have sex with other people. Who aren't aren't just a stand-in for himself as well. So that's good. Uh, Another point point in this film's favor. There's a lot of points in this film's favor. Uh, Uh, Just... Just imagine some of the some of the directors we've we've encountered version of this where everybody just ends up having sex with that guy that narrator <laughs> before it's over. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to me that all of the press on this movie that I see describes it as star-studded. And I did not recognize a single one of the... <laughs> nope, no idea. Single one of the actors in this. Um, which is also, you know, not entirely... Uh, it's mostly our fault, really, but... It is our fault. Uh, like, uh, um, our Master of Ceremonies, actually. We've seen. Okay. A lot. He's Peter in 49th Parallel. He's uh, the Count... In the life and death of Colonel Plimp. Okay, I mean, like he's uh, <laughs> he's in a lot of Powell and Pressburger. Actually, he was in the Red Shoes. I've spent <laughs> about eight years absolving myself of this crime. Yeah, so I feel comfortable saying I don't recognize anybody in anything. Basically, in any <laughs> movie we watch, until you say this person was this person in this place, I didn't recognize them. Right, right, uh, and, and so I feel pretty that. good about myself. <laughs> Uh, I can understand how that would be upsetting to someone normal uh, <laughs> who expects to look at people and go, oh, I know that person's from somewhere else. Well, going through the rest of these actors and actresses, uh, it seems like our narrator is the only one we've seen before. Okay. <laughs> we will see a good chunk of them uh, moving forward uh, because... Even if this was the first time Ophuls had worked with them, he really loved them. And and a good amount of these actors and actresses are in either of the next two movies we will be watching, if not both. 
Uh-huh. So, all right, well. so we will see them again pretty quickly. All uh, right. Well, that's good. But then. it doesn't seem like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot of them, despite being, uh, I'm told, very famous actors and actresses in Europe. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of them are uh, people we have seen elsewise. Interesting. That That's, I mean, that is actually a little surprising because like, although I Isn't wonder. It just the extensiveness of this cast, is, it's kind of surprising to me. Right. Although I will say we are a little bit weak in the 19, our, not, our experience with the 30s and 40, you know, that, that era that, that 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 chunk of European film is not exactly the most well represented right. chunk of film in the Criterion Collection. In late fifties into the sixties, as the new waves get started, we get also, yeah we're yeah, and a lot of those actors may just not be finding work anymore. Right, but this uh, this section of early fifties is is maybe not as well represented. Yeah, um, at least in what we've watched so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean it might be later, yeah. but I mean thus far. Like, if I really think about it, like, I've not watched a lot of European film from this era. I, right. I, it is definitely a, a weakness in our sort of, like, exposure to the catalog. Right. And you know what? I'm fine with that because I would rather the Criterion Collection show me show me film from other places. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. One, I, I, yeah, totally. Than at least one movie a year from every country of Europe. So, right. Uh, but, yeah. It's probably time to draw this to a close, but I do want to share with uh, you one of my other favorite lines from this movie uh, that I lost it at. Uh, The young man and the businessman's wife. Uh uh, When she's interrogating him as to whether or not uh, he's seeing anyone else, she says, have there been any other women in this room? And he says, the yeah. building's 50 years old. I know. His his cheekiness <laughs> yes, is very, very funny, yeah. It's very good. Uh, but yeah, absolutely very much enjoyed this movie, La Ronde from 1950. As I said, we will see two more films from director Max O'Fools immediately, just in the next couple of weeks, and we will see another film, one of his earlier pieces, uh, that spine 500, low 500s, I think 507, uh, which is uh, a couple of years down the line, a year and a half or yeah. so. Which is hard to imagine in and of itself that we're going to cross the 500 <laughs> threshold in like not very, yeah. not that not actually that, that long. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. We've been doing this for a while, huh? Yep. Professional podcasters. We are. Yeah. We are. I tell myself that all the time. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for listening to this professional podcast. <laughs> yep. It's what we are. It is Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, your host, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, my co-host, John Patrick O.H.I.R. Dorgan. And we'll see you next week for more Maxo Fools. Thank you so much. <laughs> yep.
This has been Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oyatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.